Howdy, 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 everybody. Cable Smith welcoming each and every one of you into episode 624 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies. So thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in today. I appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, we've got a great show lined up for you. But um, what's going on in your world? Hopefully punching turkey tags. I uh, had the pleasure of going up to Broken Bow, Oklahoma uh, last weekend with the wife and uh, another couple. And did a little fishing as, um, I don't know if you've ever been to Broken Bow, but it's the southernmost naturally reproducing trout fishery in the United States. Um, Southern Oklahoma right there on the lower mountain fork. Then you've got Lake Broken Bow. Uh, and that lake is so deep, like over 150 feet in places, that they pull the water from the bottom of the lake year-round and pump it over the dam that keeps the water in the river cold. And therefore, those fish, which they do stock, rainbows and browns, but uh, those fish can and do reproduce naturally. So did a little uh, a day on the water with my buddy's uh, bass boat. I think each of the girls caught a couple bass. Aaron even managed to throw uh, a fishing pole in the water. I was at the front of the boat. I hear a splash. And I look back, and it's not a fish that she's fighting. Actually, there's no rod in her hand at all. It's gone. It's in the lake. And it now resides at the bottom of uh, Lake Broken Bow. So, uh, of course, I made her feel really bad about it and said that I'd be buying a new rod and reel. What she didn't know was that I gave her Henry's rod and reel. I wouldn't give that girl my best rod and reel. Hell no. And that's the reason why. It's now at the bottom of the lake. <laughs> but uh, I'll sure be buying an expensive rod and reel to replace it. Uh, she doesn't know what a Shakespeare spinning rod looks like compared to a, a lose. So what they don't know won't hurt them. But we had a great time. Uh, I think we caught in like four hours of fishing 10 or 12 bass. They have smallies, spots, and largemouth. We caught a few of each. And then uh, my buddy Aaron, uh, not my wife, his name's also Aaron, uh, him and I went fly fishing the next day. It was his first time ever fly fishing, and so we headed to the river uh, fished with my longtime friend and duck hunting buddy and guide there at uh, the Beaver's Bend Fly Shop, but Trey Prater. And I'm not kidding you when I tell you Aaron caught the biggest rainbow I've ever seen taken out of that that river system. My God, it was like 20-plus inches. A fatty, he fought it for like, it seemed like eternity. But I videoed the second half, and that was like three minutes. So he probably fought it for six minutes. He told me he was so hungover, he had no idea what he was doing. But he managed to to land that fish, and uh, it, was, it was so exciting. He was pumped after the trip. He was like, Cable, thank you so much for taking me fly fishing. I've never done it. I've always wanted to. It was awesome. So uh, I think he's hooked. And uh, we caught probably a dozen or so uh, trout and missed probably another two dozen. But, uh, yeah, absolutely great weekend, a beautiful place, and Broken Bow just continues to explode. If you haven't been there, I recommend you you make the trip. It's a man. It's a lovely part of uh, of the world. Anyway, what are we doing today? Well, let me tell you. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that black rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat up old Stanley thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And to get things going, we'll head to the Florida Keys and check in with Captain Tony 
Young. And I became aware of him uh, based off of a, a photo that went viral. And it was him and his boat with like, I don't know, four or 500 lionfish, invasive lionfish that they uh, speared. I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. You're, you're doing the Lord's work, removing this invasive Pacific Ocean species from our Gulf Coast waters and the, and the Keys where they've taken up residence and are, are really hurting our uh, marine ecosystems. So um, Captain Young will be here, and we'll talk not only about these lionfish and, and what do they do with them once they have hundreds of these fish on board, uh, what happens then? There's a solution, uh, a very tasty one, by the way, uh, to these uh, these venomous fish that apparently have very few natural predators here in the uh, the Atlantic and the Gulf. Uh, so he will be here. We'll talk uh, spear gun hunting underwater, and then we will check in with our old pal Brian Lynn of Sportsmen's Alliance. The Biden administration is negotiating with terrorists, aka the Center for Biological Diversity, a well-known anti-hunting faction that only exists to sue U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. I mean, that's their sole purpose in life, to get litigation hung up in court so that they can protect things like wolves and bears and prevent people from hunting on public land, which is the latest thing that they've done. The problem is, is that this administration... And uh, Secretary of the Interior, Deb Haaland, who organizations like BHA (laughs) championed. Meanwhile, the rest of us sat there knowing damn well that unless she would commit to a no net loss hunting policy, uh, that she wasn't the right choice. But yet, (laughs) they applauded the nomination. And here we are now. They are negotiating behind closed doors. Hunters, conservationists do not have a seat at the table and that is the real issues. So Brian will break that down for us. And uh, we might even talk a little spring bear hunting as well. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a dang good one. Guarantee you that. Let's knock out uh, a quick giveaway today. How about a prize pack from our friends over at Go Wild? They've got a couple uh, new t-shirts. It's uh, Rattlesnake with a Second Amendment uh, Get the play on words there. Uh, but it's like the, it represents the don't tread on me flag. So awesome t shirt there. And we've got a Go Wild branded tactical backpack for all of the passionate shooters out there. So um, just email Go Wild, that's Go Wild, uh, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. And if you're not on the social media app, Go Wild yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. There's no censorship. There's just like-minded hunting and fishing and outdoor enthusiasts. You can post whatever you want. You can post pictures of guns and dead animals. Like uh, like that's something that's taboo. Uh, but apparently in uh, on modern-day social media platforms owned by big tech, yeah, they frown upon that. But uh, not on Go Wild. So head over there. Uh, I've been on there for three or four years. Great community. And I look forward to uh, to seeing you on Go Wild. Coming up next, we'll get on that island time as we head down to the Florida Keys to check in with Captain Tony Young on SCI's One Star Outdoor Show.
If you're looking to remodel your home, add a deck or arbor to the back patio, redo your fence, or build your dream home from the ground up, look no further than ECR Construction Group. My longtime bow hunting buddy, Josh Brown, is someone you can trust to deliver honest work on time. ECR Construction Group also serves the North Texas area, specializing in roofing, barn dominium builds, painting, and carpentry. So for your next project, call the folks I trust. That's ECR Construction Group at 214-400-1444 or ecrcg.com. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit bobcatofdallas.com today. Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard you call, wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall, you've seen it all, you've seen it all. There's a little Jimmy Buffett bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you as uh, we're heading down to the islands to check in with Captain Tony Young. But before we talk lionfish and spear gun hunting, this segment is proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader and big game conservation. They put their money where their mouth is. I keep telling you guys, whether it's in North America or internationally, nobody is doing more to protect your rights as a sustainable use hunter. So I encourage you to head over to safariclub.org. I think you can become a member for like 65 bucks. You'll get a monthly newsletter and bi-weekly email blast to keep you up to date on, uh, on what we are facing as a hunting community. Uh, so check it out. Um, all right. Well, without further ado, let's bring him on right now. Our first guest today, checking in from the Florida Keys, Captain Tony Young. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, buddy. So uh, you are joining us from the great state of Florida. Other than Texas, it's probably like, uh, well, I mean, it has a lot to do with DeSantis. Let's not kid ourselves. I love, I love what he's doing. And, uh, yeah, I, I spent my 40th birthday there for that reason. It's like, who wants to go spend money in California? No, here's Florida. You know, these, are, <laughs> these, are, these are like-minded folks over there. But uh, we went snook fishing and had an absolute blast. Yeah, we have an amazing fishery in Florida, just in general. And definitely thankful to be in this state over the last couple of years, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you a uh, Floridian by uh, birth? No. So actually I'm a transplant. Um, I'm from Minnesota, grew up okay. just outside the twin cities. So for me, fishing and hunting was more my passion growing up and then got into diving, uh, when I was a kid with my dad and that translated trips in the keys, eventually moving down here after college. So I'm, oh, wow. I'm one, I'm a transplant. Yep. Okay, cool. So, uh, Minnesota is a place that I've spent some time, uh, like boundary waters trips, uh, yep. for smallies and, the occasional pike and uh my dad hooked into he got bored we, we were catching so many smallies and i think we've done that trip on both sides of the border canada and minnesota 
gosh, probably five or six times now. And my dad's like, he's a better fisherman than I am. Um, not much of a hunter, but his arm was getting tired of catching smallmouth. He's like, forget this. I'm going to, he put on a big football head jig and we paddled out to the middle of the lake. And I think it was like 40 feet of water. And he hooked into what I was like, you hooked a stump. And then the stump started dragging the canoe everywhere. And it was like a, you know, a 30 pound lake trout, which was pretty cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I've been up to the boundary waters once before and yeah. it was just, you don't really have to do much to catch fish. It's pretty phenomenal. Right. So yep. growing up, what kind of fishing did you do? Uh, well, my grandparents had a cabin up in Walker, Minnesota. So every year, you know, when it was ice, uh, lake was iced over the eel pup peel out was a huge part. We did that every winter. Um, but a lot of walleye up there was the main uh -huh. thing. Walleye and then the small lakes around uh, my hometown of Hutchinson, we'd, you know, do like the sunfish and just all the smaller stuff, bass and everything. Um, and Walleye's then tough in to as far as walleye is tough to beat. Yeah. And we get Northern Pike up there. Never caught a muskie. That was one. I don't know how much money I spent on lures growing up or my dad spent rather. <laughs> yeah. But never, never, never ended up catching a muskie yet. Um, I think I would go up there with like a hundred dollars worth of stuff. Like this will catch a pike and yeah you know, catch like two and then lose the rest of the lures so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's fun um but duluth i don't know if you've ever been up to duluth minnesota that's a mm -mm. really phenomenal fishery so we did a lot of fishing up there a lot of fly fishing through college and um you know when i wasn't diving and whatnot yeah okay so you've been in the keys for how long about eight years now full-time and yep. licensed captain for seven years, you told me off the air? Yes. Yep. So what is a typical trip like uh, for your charter business? It really depends. Uh, so we do all private trips. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just the individual, the group family on the boat. Um, and we specialize in spear fishing and uh, inshore, offshore fishing. So it really depends on what the group wants to do. But a couple of our main things, we do a lot of line fish hunting um, on scuba. And they're an invasive fish, so that is a tough one to you hunt. It, you called it hunting there, so oh yeah, we're hunting them for yeah. sure. Yep, yeah. and uh, we do a lot of free diving for wahoo, like pelagic species, um, which is a ton of fun. Um, summertime offshore fishing for mahi and blackfin tuna is phenomenal, and spend a lot of time in the winter just you know on the patch reefs and reef ledges for yellowtail snapper, mangrove snapper is a ton of fun as well. Okay, right on, right on. We are we have a really. Um, a really healthy red snapper fishery off the coast of Texas. Like, you do. Yes. It's amazing. And, um, I've been doing that. One of my college buddies, his dad had an offshore boat and the, the, the regulations have always been so damn frustrating, you know, and then, and, and sometimes we have like a two month season and, and then it's been like a three day season and it's all based off of the, you know, how fast the, the quota is hit. A lot of that is commercial fishing and the, um, you know, recreational anglers tend to get screwed on that deal but the the fishery seems to be healthier every year we catch more snapper and bigger snapper and we catch them quicker than we did the year before uh so it tells me that the, the the snapper fishery is is vibrant and healthy do you guys have a pretty healthy red snapper fishery as well so it's interesting about red snappers they nearly got fish to extinction you know so and you guys so have the a problem because it's been managed no. it's managed <laughs> like a gulf coast uh, population, which we know that these right. fish don't migrate. So for, for them to say, okay, Texas, uh, you guys have the same restrictions as Florida and Alabama. It doesn't make any sense to me because these fish maybe move from one reef to the other, but, uh, they're not nomadic. They're sticking pretty much to the same general geographic area that they always have. 
Yeah, larvae move around, you know, the fry move around and stuff. But uh, for instance, just with red snapper, you know, years ago, I never saw them off Isla Mirada, which is where we're at. And this oh. last season, I, I saw them on some of our spots in Isla Mirada, some of the deeper oh, wow. wrecks. So for me, that like to see that, act, I mean, that's how it used to be a long time ago. And there's, you know, the tor dry tortugas has a healthy red snapper fishery now, which wasn't there before. But I mean, I think in general, red snapper is just one of those fish that's just controversial <laughs> with the right. commercial commercial right. side, the recreational side, management side, but it is a huge success story on how management can bring a species back. No, absolutely. I, I mean, yeah. it's, you guys have probably a healthier tarpon fishery than we, we do, but like 70 years ago, Port Aransas, Texas was like the self-proclaimed tarpon capital of the world. Not so, not so much anymore, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, and and pro maybe some of it is because uh, you walk into some of the, the longtime watering holes there and the walls are just, tarpon scales okay we well, killed all the tarpon so like, right you know well, um, i think one thing that really helps us out here too in the keys is we got the gulf stream running past us offshore so mm -hmm. it's bringing different migratory fish through so it it gives people an opportunity to switch things up you know like got tarpon in the summer mahi in the summer and then you know people transition to sailfish you know more in the winter months and and we transition to wahoo for spearing in the winter months then grouper you know in the summer so I think it, it's nice because it, a lot of the charter fleet recreational fisheries will spend most of their summer offshore fishing, which relieves stress on the reef. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. I think that helps out a lot too, what we got going on down here. Yeah. Um, well, so how I found you was this picture on, it came up in my Instagram feed and it was uh, a picture of, you know, we're fishing a, a, lion fish, a, a lion fishing tournament. I don't know how many we get in Texas. I think they're starting to show up. Not a lot though. Um, right. You guys, it's like feral hogs. You guys are overrun with these damn things. And we're, they're, yeah, they're we're specific. working hard to get them. Do what? I said, we're working hard to get that many fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, but I mean, these are native to the, the uh, Pacific ocean. Um, they don't belong off the coast of Florida or, or in the Gulf of Mexico somebody irresponsibly probably just released an aquarium pet or uh, right pr probably a bunch of people have done that and so here we here we are in 2022 with a serious problem and my understanding is that they don't really have any like predators that, that are preying on them i don't know if it's because of their uh spiny structure um or, or what the deal is i'm sure you probably are more well versed with that but talk a little bit about these fish and why they've become so prevalent yeah well lionfish are yeah like you said they're invasive um not native and invasive so they're not from this region and uh they are having a negative impact on our fishery and um likely introduced from the aquarium trade like you said but mainly you know if you introduce something that's not what predators aren't used to seeing like grouper shark stuff like that one it's it might not be the most appealing thing and then they're armed with venomous spines all over them so yeah. um it's a little might be a little bit more work for a grouper to eat that versus another fish they're already used to um with that being said i we have noticed like certain species like kind of going after them like when we oh. play the fish for instance one that one thing that's really interesting is the manatees eat the carcasses in the marina really so yeah so we have seen some nurse sharks go after them at times on the reef. Um, but for the most part where we are the main predators, just humans hunting them, diving. And there's just not enough pressure from, there's just not enough divers doing this. 
Well, I'm, our, we've seen the numbers gone way down. Like I've been running charters for them for, for years. And we used to get, I would say on like an average day, we could hunt, we could kill at least 30 to 50 a day, uh, lionfish just with a regular group, you know, not a ton of experience, just going out and diving. And now we're averaging maybe like 10 or 15 a day huh. on just like an average day. So, you, and you see when we do the derbies like this one, you saw that photo, like the numbers drop way down for a while. Um, yeah. But with that being said, if, if nothing's being done, the numbers jump right back up. Uh-huh. So they do come back pretty quick. And so how often do you guys participate in these derbies? We do, well, there's two derbies a year that we got down in the Keys. We do those um, each mm-hmm. year. And then we're going to do another one in Miami that Invincible is uh, a boat manufacturer's hosting. Okay. Um, but we actually got a derby coming up this Saturday. So oh. pretty excited. I think I'm going to retract my statement i think i remember that we did have a tournament in texas at one time uh for four lionfish i, I would so, think so i mean they're yeah. yeah they're there for sure i i don't know the texas fishery as well i just know that the structure is different so the yeah. fish might be more isolated on you know different you know it's different here we hunt a lot on the reef here we have the barrier reef track whereas in texas you're probably more hunting on structure like different types of wreckage and stuff like that lots of lots of oil rigs uh, yeah. Which are also our yeah. best snapper spots by and large. Yeah. Um, okay. So these fish don't move very fast. Uh, my buddy in college, he had a, I had a freshwater aquarium and he had a saltwater tank and he had a lionfish. And so I was always aware of, Hey, don't touch that one. That will poke yeah. you and it will hurt, which has something to do with why nothing wants to, to mess with them. It's probably like, you know, the aquatic version of messing with a porcupine. Some will do it. Had a lot of predators doing that. Um, what do these fish prey on? And they, because they don't move fast. So how do they, why are they so adept at, at disrupting the natural ecosystem? Yeah. So they go after pretty much anything they can fit in their mouth, mm-hmm. which is a lot. So um, crustaceans, shrimp, and a lot of our uh, viable fish like grouper, snapper, they're taking the small juvenile ones, like the mm-hmm. smaller fry. So like anywhere from, you know, a few millimeters up to a few inches, depending on the size um, we actually shot a lionfish, uh, two days ago, a larger one, and it had a small flounder in its mouth. Wow. Like literally mu- the first time I've seen that. So literally must've just eaten it. Uh, cause it was, it was like not decomposed at all. Um, and the way that they do it is when we hunt them, we'll look for like, say a big coral head out in the sand. And if you see a lot of, uh, like, like we call them minnows, you know, like silver side minnows or bait above it, just covering the coral head there's always lionfish stacked around it but if you see a coral head that doesn't have that fish life on it you generally won't see lionfish Mm. um they can actually blow a little bit of water out their mouth and it creates like a false current and it makes fish swim against it so if you can imagine a fish swimming against the lionfish's mouth that's blowing water and then they reverse it quick inhale and they can suck that fish right in wow so that's that's one unique way that they that they hunt. It's really fun to watch them hunt. Just yeah. takes a while sometimes <laughs> to yeah, watch them. No, I definitely remember my buddy would buy some other expensive fish, put it in there, and then the lionfish would eat it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I had them. At, yeah, in college, I had a ton of reef tanks, and yeah, my my lionfish was very well fed to keep them away from the other fish in the tank for there, sure. Oh, there went thirty dollars on that little tang that just got smoked by him. You know, so yep. That's why I always liked my little uh, three dollar freshwater fish better if the oscar or the soft shell turtle smoked one of them eh, no big deal um let's do this let's take a quick break we'll come back and get into what you guys do with these fish 
after one of the derbies because the worm has turned for the better on that front. So uh, we'll do that, plus mix in some other aquatic invasive species. That segment brought to you by the brand new Vortex Laser Rangefinder lineup. Uh, whether you want the Viper HD 3000, MSRP 599, or the mid-range, the Diamondback HD 2000 Laser Rangefinder, you can pick that one up for 450 And, of course, the entry-level one, which is the brand spanking new Crossfire HD 1400 Laser Rangefinder. I have one of those, by the way. Did a little R&D with it this past bow season. Absolutely love it. And for 250 you can't beat it. You can find all three brand-new Laser rangefinders at VortexOptics.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Down south down to Laguna Madre. Cruising over the causeway. There's nobody here. The coast is all clear. It's my kind of day. I'm Padre. Tactical Skeleton Firearms specializes in custom AR-10 firearms. They're best known for their AR-10 308 pistols. Also, dual-caliber AR-10 rifle systems and dual-caliber AR-15 takedown pistols. Tactical Skeleton specializes in custom Cerakoting engraving, and they'll custom laser cut the foam insert inside your hard gun case. They'll also take on any exotic caliber build offered on the AR-10 or AR-15 platform. Precision machining and hand-built quality guaranteed by a lifetime warranty? Who does that? Get free shipping on your order when you visit tacticalskeleton.com today. Cable here for Pulsar. If you're looking for that nighttime optic, whether it's a night vision or, my preference, thermal, mm, man, these things have gotten a lot more affordable over the years. Now, of course, it's still a pretty penny, but the working man can get into a thermal, can certainly get into night vision. It's a game changer, and nobody does it better than Pulsar. So if you're ready to light up the night, head over to Pulsar NV. Dot com to check out their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics. And if I ain't sleeping well, I better be fishing. If I ain't anchored, I will be drifting. But all in all, I'm doing pretty good since I hit my third. Larry Joe Taylor, Third Coast. One of my favorites there, bringing us back on. SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We're still talking with uh, Charter Boat Captain Tony Young. Before we get back into that conversation, this segment is brought to you by NUMA, geared for the outdoors. Uh, cool thing, the new solids are in. Uh, I was fishing in the khaki Pathfinder pant this past weekend. It's that stretchy fabric. Not like the not like Dockers, right? It's that uh you know, that stretchy blend of probably nylon and some other stuff. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me. Fit was perfect. I'm a thirty I hate to admit it, but I'm like a thirty five, thirty two. Uh very nice and comfortable and cool because we were out on Lake Broken Bow and you know, I didn't get hot on an eighty five degree day. Uh, also you can check out the new tops like the Durango, and uh, all the new solids launch this week. So head over to numaoutdoors.com, and you'll save 20% with that promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout. Let's get back into it with Captain Tony Young, joining us from the Florida Keys, and um, let's talk other 
aquatic invasive species that we're probably both familiar with? Uh, we have other, and, and just like you guys have peacock bass in Florida, you know, we have yeah. the main thing I'm seeing now, uh, which they're kind of doing some roundups for is placostomus, which are native to like the Amazon rainforest. Right. And um, I was actually, so I've always had freshwater tanks. So I've always had a placostomus to keep it clean. And I went on a mission trip in Brazil as a young man. I think it was like 18 or 19 and was fishing uh, with this guy out of his, his dugout canoe. And he's, well, we were gigging and um, he gigs the placostomus. And I was like, holy crap, I got, I have one of those in my tank back home. And it was like, oh, that's where these fish that's are native not- to right here. Uh, yeah. But we do have, we do have people, um, even like uh, uh, university projects where students are working on um, removing some of those invasive placostomus. So it's not, it's not specific to just uh, saltwater by, by any stretch of the yeah. imagination. I don't know if the peacock bass have such a, are having a negative effect on the freshwater fishery like the, uh, the lionfish are though. Not that I know of. Yeah. I think they're pretty sought. Everybody's catch release, you know, for the most mm-hmm. part. Yeah. It's a fun fishery for folks that go after them. So that, so that's when it's generating money for the economy. Yeah. Well, I mean, and lionfish, is coming around, you know, like the last couple of years, it's, it's now more of a delicacy and, you know, you see it in restaurants, it's a very high priced fish, uh, because it's hard to get, we have to shoot them, you okay. know? Um, but for a while there, if a, cl- a customer or ours or a guest would take a lionfish to a restaurant, they wouldn't cook it. You know, they didn't, okay. they didn't want to get stung. They thought the meat was uh, poisonous, which it's not, it's just the venomous spines. Right. So over the last couple of years, big part of these derbies, like the one we participate in is just educating the community and the public on, you know, some of these fallacies and, but they are delicious fish. So you see uh Publix, you know, whole foods is, is taking these lionfish in, um, huh. and a lot of the local restaurants. Um, so they'll so actually buy them from you. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to have a, you have to have a, a certain license to sell them and stuff very easy to get through the state. Um, but yeah, when we do the derbies, um, uh, we, yeah, we sell the fish and they go straight to a restaurant or somewhere and, you know, people consume them. So how do you keep the fish good? I'm assuming that the derby isn't done in the middle of the winter. And even if it was, you're in the keys. So how do you, how many fish did you guys catch in that picture that I'm referring to? It was that was one. Like, we, the whole boat is yeah. the bottom of the boat is full of lionfish. And it's a big boat. It's a 36 foot boat. So that, that was a uh, 564 fish. And over what, that, over what time frame? Over two days. Wow. So for, for us in the keys, that's a, that's a crazy, that, that beat the record, the previous record, which we set two years prior. And, uh, uh, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. Oh, um, yeah. I think that's going to be, it's going to be hard for us to break that one. <laughs> we're working hard. But, but the fish, uh, yeah, we just keep them on ice and then, uh, they go straight to the restaurant, the restaurant cleans them and then they get, and then they get frozen. Okay. So they get flash, they'll get flash frozen. And then as they use them, they'll take them out. Um, or on a larger scale, like whole foods will come down with a, with a certain truck and they take them, send them straight for prep. Uh, uh-huh. okay. And so what is the, uh, do you, do you sell other species of fish too? I do not know. Nope. Okay. So that's an, that's interesting that because of the, you know their invasive status uh you're able to is because you're not a commercial fisherman but you are able to just sell these to restaurants right i have commercial i have commercial license for a few different species but um the bulk of what i do is, is charter fish take people you know charter fishing and and spear fishing uh but with the lionfish for the like the derby for instance like i don't know what i'm going to do with over 500 lionfish Right. <laughs> so for, for me to try to flay those out or something, it would take me a long time. <laughs> so, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a good way. And the restaurants don't have easy access to them necessarily. So when they are able to get a hall like this, it means a big deal to the restaurant. Uh, you know, that, that's, that, that supports sense. them for quite a while. Yeah. That's awesome. Very cool. Um, yeah. And I've heard, I have never eaten it, but I've heard that it is delicious. Uh, white flaky. It, it is white flaky meat, very clean. And they have a wonderful diet. You know, they're eating all of our prized fish <laughs> that we like to eat. So they're just eating the smaller versions of it. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, the fam I guess the famous preparation that I like is lionfish ceviche or else the whole fried lionfish. Those okay. two, the ceviche is just phenomenal. So what do you, when they do the whole fried lionfish, do they just snip the venomous ends of the... Yeah. Okay. okay. Yep. Yeah, there's a number of spines throughout, but the pectoral fins and the tail fin are not venomous. So you leave those on. And when they're breaded and fried up, they taste just like a, I call it sea bacon. Tastes mm. just like a potato chip. Very good. Nice. nice. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, we do crappie tails here fry them up yep mm -hmm. yep a lot of people are like i'm not eating that i'm like yeah you're missing oh, it's good it's yeah. good nice yeah. and salty absolutely and so what i've never been spearfishing it's like one of those things that's on the bucket list um snorkeling is probably the farthest i've gone as, as you know as far as like exploring a coral reef and i've done it in hawaii um when i was like 15 or 16 and then um mexico a couple times vacation stuff but what is the process there? How deep are you actually uh, going for? Like, I don't know if these fish live 20 feet below the surface or hundred no idea. Yep. Uh, well, that's one of the, that's one of the, like the tough things about line fish is they are extremely diverse and where they can survive. So um, subs and cameras have seen these fish down, you know, well past a thousand feet and we wow. see them in the mangrove estuaries and two feet of water. So man, there's my pup just coming to say hi. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. He's an eight month old, just baby. Golden retriever. Um, golden retriever. Yep. Nice. Yep. He's a good boy. Um, but so we, when we're hunting, it really depends. Like when we're doing the derby, we're, we're trying to look on like pieces that like areas that have really good relief structure, you know, like all fish, like those, those steep drop-offs or holes, you know, it's the same thing that we fish up North. Um, so that's mainly what we're focusing on. But for a charter standpoint, uh, we sometimes if people want to try to hunt them, uh, you know, free diving or snorkeling, we look at coral heads that are very shallow. Um, so like 15 feet of water, again, it might not get as big a fish as they are deeper, but we can still find them. So it really just depends on what the, you know, what your level at is, but scuba diving generally 60 to 90 feet is where we're finding them. And then snorkeling, try to do like around 35 feet is a good range. Okay. Okay. And yep. what is the average size? I mean, how big do these things get in an aquarium? Uh, I think our tanks were like 55 gallons. They're not going to get that big. Do they get pretty massive? They get pretty big. We, we have this state record too, uh, from a couple of years ago. And it was, uh, on my boat, we weighed at 4.2 pounds. Oh, wow. And by the time it actually landed in the office to get weighed in, it was sitting cooler on ice for a couple of days, dried out. Um, it ended up being 3.28 pounds. Wow. Okay. So, but yeah, the average size that we get is usually nine to 14 inches now. Um, a couple of years ago when there wasn't as much education and people going after them, they were, you know, we were getting about 16, 17 inches was kind of standard. We get a couple of those each day, but okay. for the most part, smaller. Okay. Okay. Fascinating stuff. Well, yeah, man, I just thought I saw that picture. I was like, well, there's a, certainly an interesting conversation to be had here and as uh, as conservationists and, and, uh, sportsmen, you know, invasive species are, are something that's always controversial for sure. And, yeah. uh, 
what, what do we do with these things? How do we manage this? Like, so here we have these derbies, uh, in yep. Texas, you know, we, in Florida has feral hogs too, but, uh, in Texas, you know, we shoot them out of uh, helicopters. We trap them. Uh, yeah. No, any hunt. If you see a hog, it's now a hog hunt. Like, it's like yeah, that's what cool. I'm starting to get into. I just, I just got myself an AR for hog hunting, and I'm like, I'm, I'm getting ready. Oh, nice. <laughs> when I'm, when I'm one trip, can you use thermal optics in uh, Florida? Yes, we can. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. So a few friends of mine, they have leases, and Wonderful. yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, yep. man, I love Florida. Uh, found your page very interesting. If you want to give us your website and social media stuff, where, where folks can. Uh, keep up with you and, and what you're doing there in the keys. Absolutely. Yeah. The website is diveyoung.com. Uh, real short and sweet. And then Instagram is at captain Tony young, all spelled out. Okay. So cool. yeah. Love to spend some time with everyone on the water. Yeah. Well, next time I come to Florida, which hopefully be soon, because uh, like I said, I love your state. Um, I'll give you a shout. Okay. Awesome. It was great talking with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Tony. Take care, buddy. Yep. Yeah. You too. So there you have it, uh, what Florida is doing with the invasive lionfish. And uh, I did do a little research after we finished up talking, and Texas does have the Texas Lionfish Control Unit. So we definitely have lionfish off of our coast, and uh, we've got a team. And they've got a website, too. It's uh, texaslionfish.org. So uh, check that out. See what they're up to. Uh, I'm going to do a little more research on that myself. But uh, cool to know that they're out there protecting our marine ecosystems as well. Um, that segment of the show was brought to you by the DS4K Ultra Trail Camera from Stealth Cam, offering the highest quality video on the market. You can find it as well as their entire lineup of cell cameras, um, infrared cameras, all of it right there at StealthCam.com. Coming up next, why is the Biden administration uh, negotiating away your rights as a sportsman behind closed doors? Hmm. Disturbing stuff. We'll get into it with Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. My jeans are faded and my boots are brown. I stand for passion and I stand my ground. Ain't nothing gonna hold me down. Hey guys, Cable here, and last year was a wild year for censorship. It's only continuing in 2022 uh, for us hunters and anglers. So I've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women, by hunters and anglers just like you. It's a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. Imagine that. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so many more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you get 10 bucks to the store just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started, and I'll see you over there. Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille. 
pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes. Storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisespecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you for being here today as uh, we're all set to check in with our good buddy Brian Lynn, VP over at Sportsman's Alliance. Lots to get into today. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants. They've got an entire lineup of uh, various attractants. Apple scented if you live in the Midwest would be a good one for you. Uh, actually, my buddy in New Mexico has an apple orchard on his place. I don't know. If you've got apples, check that one out. Uh, where I hunt in Texas, the big bucks come running for that. BB squared, that's the original recipe, but they've got a ton of different options. And here's the thing. They work. My kiddos can attest to that. Uh, as I've told you, they're like, Dad, let me see the trail camera. We just put out that, that Big and J. We know within a few hours... Deer are going to be right there. They can't help themselves. You can find all of that great stuff at BigAndJay.com. All right. Well, let's bring him on right now. Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. Always a pleasure, brother. Great to be here, buddy. Thank you. Uh, so we were texting last week, and you were hunting turkeys in like 20-degree weather. It sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty I guess chilly. It sounds better than not hunting turkeys, though. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was pretty chilly for the first uh, couple hours of the day, but uh, got got a little bit better in the afternoon, so that was nice. Especially Sunday was nice. So I was hunting turkeys as well, and it was like eighty-five degrees. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that might be too warm, but uh, oh, that was like in the middle of the day. It was like a nice sixty-degree morning, you know. So nice. I I think I'd rather my situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it was, it was pretty chilly. The boys were cold. And, uh, so we made it a couple hours warmed up and then went back in the afternoon and mm -hmm. got the one to 10 yards, called me in from about probably 400 yards down to 10, but my nephew didn't have the angle on him. So, uh, the bird uh, quickly realized he was in the wrong spot. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Well, you don't have to deal with rattlesnakes though. So that's at least one plus. We do have rattlesnakes up here, just not in 20 degree weather. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't, I would have thought you guys didn't even have wash, uh, uh, rattlesnakes in Washington state. Yep. Yep. We got rattlers up here. So huh. yeah, they just, uh, they, they're sleeping right now, but they'll be coming out soon. So it seems like a lot of the, the Northern part of the country's had a cold front. Like I was, uh, following, uh, another person's adventures on social media in, in the Dakotas and like they were snowed in so bad that they couldn't even get out of the house, much less go turkey hunting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I got up in the morning and there was about three, four inches of snow. And I was like, oh, man, I don't <laughs> want to go sit in this. By the afternoon, it had melted off. So I was uh -huh. like, all right, let's go. <laughs> and are these Easterns that you're hunting? Yeah. Yeah. Out here we have Eastern Easterns and Merriams around here. But uh, where we're at, sorry, not yeah. Easterns, Rios. Rios. Easterns. Okay. Yeah, Rios and Merriams, the Easterns are on the other side of the state. We have all three subspecies. We have three of the four subspecies here. Okay. So, 
which one is the uh, least intelligent, in your opinion? The Rios. I always like to ask everybody. The Rios. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of like my buddy and I had this discussion at, uh, the other day at the at the camp and. You know, it's not like they're dumb by any means. I mean, they're turkeys. They're, they're kind of like he said it best. They're like the mule deer. You know, they're not dumb, but they're just, you know, not a whitetail. Right. Right. Um, I'm so I ask everyone that question in different parts of the country and people say Merriams are dumb. Rio's are dumb. They never say Easterns are the dumbest, though. Never once have I ever heard that. No. but i guess they've just been you know persecuted longer traditionally as um europeans arrived on the east coast first and i think it has more i mean i'm no biologist by any stretch but i think it has more to do with the habitat right like Mm. they're in deep dark forests and you know tree they can't see very far so come on now they're i'm go up to iowa and hunt one in a cornfield you see those guys (laughs) i mean they're telling me easterns are so hard to kill but they don't hunt them like I hunt them here. Like I'm running and gunning and not Easterns, just Rios. Yeah. Uh, but they're sitting, a lot of them, especially if you want to shoot one with a bow, here's my pop-up blind. Here's my decoys. I don't know when the turkeys are coming, but they're coming, you know, <laughs> at some point today, they're coming yeah. to this cornfield and I'm going to shoot one in the face. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. I, it is turkey hunting, but to me, that's deer hunting for turkeys. Like, I don't, I, I do that enough during deer season. I don't want to sit in a blind. Yeah. Know, for white yeah, tail. I want to sure. go, I want to go chase these long run and gun time. and have some fun. And mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. When is your spring bear season kick off? We don't have one here in Washington, but uh, I'll be is headed a, over, headed over to Montana and Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a yeah, recent thing, state. right? For the spring season. Oh yeah, this state. Don't get me started on it, but uh, oh, no. That I mean, that's like that's like uh, new news, really. That's a yeah. recent thing. Yeah, no, it was it was. Uh, they struck it down. Jay Inslee's appointments on the commission. When you have more than half of your game commission as anti hunters, that's what happens. And uh, four to three you know, vote, right? Uh, yep, yep. And now or uh, five four something like that. Um, five four, I guess. Five four. Um, but now the one commissioner that stepped down, he just had an op-ed in the Seattle Times saying it's time to end, uh, change the mandate for the commission, remove hunting as a necessary component of it, and it's time to get away from this harvest mentality and go into a preservation mentality. And then hmm. he conflated climate change and biodiversity loss and tried to say that a hundred years ago, wildlife didn't face this precarious situation. And I'm like, you're right. It didn't, it was in a precarious situation. And this model is what brought it back. Right. I just, I fired up just left and right on this. He sounds like a real jackass. Yeah. He was a zoo biologist for the Woodland Park Zoo. And he's part of the preservation movement, the rewilding movement. I mean, there's like seven of the collared elk out of 125 that are still alive in the blues mountains being eaten by mountain lions left and right some wolves some bears but mountain lions mostly and their whole thing is just reduce the number of tags available and that's where this is all going rewilding so no spring bear season you guys have a lot of bears i know that to be true like about thirty thousand, i think 25 to thirty thousand is the estimate (sighs) that's absolutely ridiculous um continuing with the preservation 
yes over conservation exactly mentality the center for biological diversity this goes back to what um well it was during the trump administration they sued him because he opened up more federal lands for hunting and fishing access that wasn't a new thing i think uh bush did it obama did it trump did it yeah it started with uh Started with the 1997 Refuge Improvement Act, which we worked on and our lawyer pretty much wrote. Um, 1997, we pushed that through Congress, got it approved, and Clinton opened a few refuges. And then everybody since Bush, mm-hmm. Obama, Trump, even Biden, he opened it up. Uh, Biden opened it up last August, claimed to be the, the largest opening ever, which it depends how you do the math. Um, so and then that was august and in november oh, wait i'm sorry so biden took credit for something that he might not have done That's well it, it's it, it gets into fuzzy math right like when you're saying you're opening these refuges some are already open but you open them for a different species or you know it's it's how you count it it gets a little gets a little wonky so you know trump but they only sued them. trump That's the point well they they sued for that action yes right. um so trump opened up so they sued over the 2020 expansion and then Biden opened it. Then they filed their court case. They didn't sue the Trump or the Biden administration over it. They right. sued over the, over the expansion of the just got to sue the scary orange man. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's good cover. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, they sued on three principles. Uh, one being that hunters trample habitat and that's not good. <laughs> and it's not good for endangered species. I don't know why hunters just do it and not hikers and bikers and wildlife watchers, but what, what, what about, what about the, uh, what about the wildlife that is not endangered? That's trampling the, the habitat yeah. for the endangered. Like, should we just go <laughs> s- slaughter all the elk because they're uh, trampling the habitat for X other species? Like yeah, it's just the point. mentality and it was absolutely insane. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they sued over trampling of habitat that, uh, hunters bear hunters in grizzly territory could mistake a grizzly bear for a black bear or shoot one in self-defense you know if they get attacked okay Um, so that would be an endangered species violation that they're Mm. setting them up for and then the third thing is uh lead the use of lead ammunition and lead fishing sinkers go back to the bear thing i hope that the granola eating hikers get eaten by grizzly bears you know that's <laughs> like uh they'll, then they'll be like oh wait maybe we have too many bears because uh the no they'll just say that's nature and how things patchouli go. wearing kenny over there he's uh he's got his <laughs> patchouli oil and hadn't had a bath in three weeks and he got eaten by a bear yeah yeah mm, too bad kenny <laughs> but uh yeah, it's, it's a heck of a case, and it, it names like 100, uh, well, Trump expanded it to 100. They named several specific refuges that this can take place on. And we, along with our partners, SCI, NRA, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, <clears throat> were uh, preparing to join as interveners, you know, and be a part of the case. And all of a sudden, the Biden administration just went into settlement talks. Mm-hmm. with them and they aren't communicating with any of us about what's going on where's our seat at the table we don't have one and that's the problem so that but so the center for biological diversity has a seat and we don't yep, yep. 
uh, why does an organization like that well because they sued precedent over because they sued they sued Mm -hmm. the government it's between those two entities we wanted to intervene and be able to put our arguments forward and be a part of the case well they entered into a joint stay so they stopped the proceedings so they could sit down and talk center for biological diversity had their their settlement offers which we don't know what it was U.S. Fish and Wildlife countered with another offer. We don't know what it is. There shouldn't be a counter. It should be like, hey, you know what? Center for Biological Diversity, get bent. This is how wildlife management works. Yeah. It's proven to work. And they they did this back in 2003, right after the Refuge Improvement Act went in. They sued similarly under almost the same exact circumstances and arguments, except for the lead argument. And we won that case. So there's strong legal precedent. There's strong uh, precedent from presidents doing this. You know, so it's a it's a you know very good case. Like they should just tell them, yeah, go get bent. This is mm-hmm. we we got all we're holding all the cards here. Yet they're still in talks to settle, and we don't know what it is. It, the the majority should not pander. And it's the same thing with um, it's the same thing if you look in society, like this transgender pandemic that we're seeing in our youth like parents by and large don't want that taught in schools right like they don't they don't i don't want my uh my two my my first grade girls being taught trans indoctrinated with transgender ideology at seven years old um and but you know there's the five percent of idiots out there who like oh we have to teach them this no we don't no we don't and it's the same thing with this with it like this is the extreme minority, these anti-hunting organizations. They scream and cry the loudest, and now we're negotiating. It's like negotiating with terrorists. We don't no, negotiate exactly with them. That's exactly what it is. That's yeah. exactly what it is. And anything, any settlement, the sportsman loses. They advance the ball a little bit, plus they get their lawyer's fees paid for if they settle it all. So they get all their <laughs> court costs and That's another mind-blowing thing. They yeah. get their, their court fees. Yeah, so if, if they settle it all... One, they get everything paid for, so there's no skin off their back. And two, we lose because there's nothing we can gain. We're going to lose something, whether it's access, whether it's using lead ammo or fishing sinkers. We're going to have something taken away. Much like PETA, I believe that this Center for uh, Wildlife or Biological Diversity exists just to raise money so that they can sue, right? I mean, mean, they're not spending money on conservation or the things they they claim that are important to them it's just a a machine that exists to sue and that's what their purpose is and and they're they're famous for it they have a you know a whole slew of lawyers and they get the guys straight out of college you know right out of law school hire them and just burn through them filing lawsuits filing briefs filing comments i'd like to see where these kids are from i bet austin san francisco portland that's probably where they're pulling these attorneys from yeah so so they burn through them and they get their experience and whatever else you know and then they get to uh if anybody settles with them they get all those all recoup all those fees you know and and their in-house attorneys or if they have out of house specialized ones those cost more uh rocky mountain elk foundation did a great piece on it uh equal access to injustice and they highlight you know like CBD made like $15 million in like three or four years suing the government. Mm. 
you know, and so it's just a habitual thing. And, and not only is it, do they get to pay whatever entity that they're suing, whether it's fish and wildlife or the forest service or whoever, that entity has to pay that bill. So they mm-hmm. take, you know, if they're suing on a, a, a logging issue, you know, the forest service has to pay them a couple million bucks. Well, that comes out of their, out of their budget. You know, and so there, it's it's just a circular argument that that's a, the, the insanity. Just is mind-boggling. Like, yeah, okay, you you won your case, but now we have to pay you some kind of restitution, like, yeah. and your legal fees. Yeah, yeah. So they shouldn't, you know, especially in this case with the refuge, they shouldn't be talking at all. Shouldn't be settling. But even if they're going to, we should have some kind of stay, say in it. And a judge just a week or two ago denied our request as intervener status and Mm -hmm. even more mind-boggling is he denied us the ability to file an amicus brief just to state our concerns and state our arguments he denied it just basically said sit down shut up and trust the government well our our government doesn't have a really strong track record as far as earning trust uh especially when it comes to wildlife management policy making it's uh (laughs) That's laughable. Um, and I don't want to speculate, but I think, you know, you've got some more insight as to what rights they are possibly negotiating away while we just sit here in the dark uh, without a seat at the table. We'll discuss that next. Uh, that segment brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. They've been helping their borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. So whether you're ready to build that rural homestead or you want a place to hunt or fish or Maybe you want to run cattle. You fancy yourself a rancher these days. Um, or just a place to get the hell out of the big city. You know, city life's getting crazy. Uh, whatever the case, they've got you covered. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more on SCI's Lone Star You can't get to heaven living this hard. Deliver me from my sorrow and shame. Release me from my burden and pain. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys, we all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Hi, I'm Eva Shockey, and thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. If I can move, I'd get my gun and put her in the ground. There's the late great Mel Tillis, Ruby, don't take your love to town, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. We are still visiting with our old pal Brian Lynn of Sportsman's Alliance. And we'll uh, we'll jump back into that conversation here in just a second. But first, this segment brought to you by 
my good friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for a long time, like over a decade. Uh, I trust them. They do amazing work. They've got two locations, San Antonio and Marion, which is just outside New Braunfels. So whether it's uh, an African safari, uh, your son's first whitetail buck, or a replica of that 10-pound bass, you know, you finally got into that double-digit club. Whatever the case, they do it all. And you can find them at GR, the number eight mounts.com. Uh, all right, let's get back into our conversation with Sportsman's Alliance's Brian Lynn. The Biden administration behind closed doors is negotiating with animal rights terrorists, essentially. And I was concerned when, and you look at organizations like Backcountry Hunters and Anglers that were like, yay, Deb Howland, she's the best. And I'm like, okay, um, Sportsman's Alliance, SCI, other organizations, really kind of concerned that she won't commit to a no net loss policy when it comes to hunting. She never would. And here we, here we, here's, you know, here's the results. Like, yeah. And I mean, in Howland, you know, I mean, she's New Mexico and she supported a, you know, the trapping ban on public lands down there. She's an, you know, advocate for anti-trapping. She's vehemently opposed to trapping at all. You know, so that's, that is concerning. And that's, what's concern concerning for us is they're negotiating on our behalf. Yet we don't know what those negotiations are. We're just mm -hmm. supposed to trust them to do it. But we think lead is hard. the big one in this deal. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have a, you know, the other two we've, uh, you know, stopped in court before this is the new wrinkle and a, a senior guy, a senior policy guy at one of the big governmental meetings actually said it in a meeting um, that, yeah, talks have been revolving around lead use. Mm -hmm. And and the scary part is they know we're in the middle of a ammo pan, like shortage, like the uh, <laughs> social unrest and then the COVID-19 pandemic have put us into unprecedented uh, territory. I, I, don't know, I, I don't know if they know it. I don't think they care either way. Uh, either way, it could be, yeah, they do know it and it works perfectly for them. I don't know. But the result is the same, is that fewer people would be able to hunt the refuges and it could expand to the entire refuge. We don't know what they're negotiating. The, the you argument think ammo is expensive now? Wait yeah. until they, they say, oh, you, to hunt public land, you can't use lead shot ammo manufacturers can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden turn no. all of their production from lead to non-toxic. No. It, it literally would take them year, a year or longer to switch everything up in their factories. It is insane to think that I was, and they know reading, that they know that I was reading something. It was a report somewhere um, that all of the non-toxic production combined couldn't, supply california's demand right much less the rest of the countries yeah <laughs> so and what so, yeah. pays so, for I conservation mean, yeah you're going right, to like, wipe that out this thing could be expanded to the entire refuge system hell it could be quickly if it's good for that if the the argument that it's good for this why wouldn't it then be good for other federal lands national forests blm land etc to go lead free Mm -hmm. So that's the argument. And that's the scary thing. If you, so if that were to happen and you found yourself a little box of non-toxic 308 ammo, that'd be like worth 
five hundred bucks. <laughs> like, yeah. It'll be like worth yeah. as much as gold. It's it'd be yeah. it'd be impossible to find. And the, and Probably, yeah, it's just the and the other thing is is I mean ammunition sales fund wildlife conservation in this country more so than anything yeah. else. Yeah, our excise tax that we you know we have through the Pittman Robertson Act, which we've talked about yeah um in detail many times on this show but just to reiterate like they know that this is a shot at conservation um yeah. and what and, funds it yeah you know and part of it is breaking the system you bankrupt it you take enough pieces out you know that you you remove predator hunting and that has a trickle-down effect to your ungulates which then they reduce tags that's exactly what's going on here in washington right now with the bear hunting and lions right. and wolves and everything else now they're cutting tags because the ungulates are getting hammered, deer and elk. Well, sure. And then the bears got to get theirs too. Yeah. And then that's less money going into conservation. Then they can go, hey, look, it's bankrupt and it's broken. Let's let's change it. What mm-hmm. they're going to change it to that's going to be successful. I don't know who's going to pay for it. Don't know. But uh, they don't know either, apparently. But you know what's hell on black bear? Ideology. I mean, on, uh, and you know this, um, the biggest predation on elk a lot of times mule deer not so much whitetail um certainly do you have what do you have in washington blacktail yeah we got some blacktail and sitka yeah um, yeah well the the, the biggest predation occurs usually by black bear early summer and they're like my buddy did his thesis uh did some research in new mexico um for his wildlife management degree and they collared black bear and they tracked them and they could see all the kill sites. And dude, like there was one that killed like 22 fawns and like, uh, calves, um, in three days. Wow. Yep. Wow. So yeah, it's, uh, it's it, like you just said, they, you can't keep, you can't have the same amount of license offered if you're going to let the predators just go and run rough shot over the population. Yeah. You can't, you can't, uh, have an apex predator, unmanaged in a completely managed system Mm -hmm. it just doesn't work you know but uh yeah the refuge case uh we're appealing the decision that denied us intervener status so we're appealing that to the ninth circuit we'll see what happens there the uh, western caucus 33 members of the western caucus now congress is starting to take notice 33 members there stepped up and sent a letter to the biden administration saying this isn't acceptable shouldn't be negotiating with these guys. They file frivolous lawsuits. Everything we said, 33 mm-hmm. members of Congress just wrote in a letter last week to uh, the Biden administration saying to stop it. So let's go to California now because they've, I mean, nothing surprises you or I uh, that, you know, when we read a headline coming out of California, but they went, they, they took it to a new low uh, with, and then I saw this posted on y'all social media stuff, but there's new there's a new bit of legislation that's been put out there that in in the wording of it is concerning because it could make it illegal to teach kids hunter education so how do you stop the next generation of hunters even in a place like california there's still tons of great people that live in that godforsaken cesspool and most of them are showing up here in north texas but as long as they vote the right way we'll welcome them with open arms uh but how do you how do you end hunting really Mm, well you you take you take it away from the next generation that's the future of our of our sport 
and our passion. I haven't read the uh, the proposed bill, but I know you're well versed on it. So break that down for us. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty broad, uh, broadly written, and that's the concerning part. It's anything mm-hmm. that you know you're teaching them that appeals to them. Marketing, it's under marketing in quotes. Um, anything that would appeal to them. So like your your you know your little savage you know youth model guns designed for kids, you know or the little rascal, whatever, that had the raccoon on it and stuff. Anything using cartoon characters, anything designed for a child, specifically designed for you. So there goes your youth firearms. Mm-hmm. You know, It's so broadly written that just about anything aimed at or that would help a child get into hunting, not suffer recoil, you know, that actually fits them ergonomically, you know, right. their body would become illegal. You know, so yeah, it's that's a brutal one. It needs to be pointed out that these bills are written with a broad, oh yeah, brush on purpose. Yeah. So that if they're passed, then they can just be like, oh well, this actually can be interpreted yep. in this way. And now, uh, by the way, California fishing game, we're gonna do away with your hunter education program because yep. yep. we don't want kids handling firearms. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even talking about it and educating them about it. Yeah. And, and that's even, exactly- this is the world we live in, even talking about it, but here also uh, in the same breath, you're a seven-year-old kid. Did you know, uh, maybe if you're a girl, you, Hey, have you ever thought that maybe you're a boy? Like, did you ever think about that? That's what, that's what we're teaching our kids, man. No yeah. more hunter education. Here's some, uh, disgusting sexual orientation though for you. Whether you like it or not, it's, yeah, it's, it's this is we a, live in a freaking clown world, man. Yeah, it's 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 quite yeah quite quite the mental gymnastics you have to go through. Like, fine, if you want to say that education of all things is great and education is the way forward, okay, then let's talk educate about everything. Right, I educate about firearms. If edu- if sex education is good, why isn't firearms education? If knowledge is power, okay, then give them both. No, now we're gonna segregate which ones can be discussed and which ones can be taught yeah well you know going back to biden we just put a a supreme court justice on the court that can't define what a woman is so you know yeah (laughs) i saw a funny meme it was a a guy talking to a game warden and he was like uh the game where you know it's captions and he says sir did you shoot this uh this doe during a buck only season and the hunter says, I don't know, sir. I'm not a biologist. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's the world we live in. It's insane. Uh, California also has some uh, pressure, and they're always trying to get rid of predator hunting. They did it with mountain lions in the 90s. Mm-hmm. They, uh, now you, as of two years ago, can't hunt bobcats in California. And then like uh, 2011, maybe 2010, 2011, they did away with hound hunting for black bear and bobcat. Yeah. Uh, now the bobcats like this endangered species in California, but they are back after the black bear, hard after black bear to try yep. to get it, uh, just the hunting of it banned completely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that was the theme in the West this year, yeah. Washington state, Colorado, Arizona, California, they were all hit with either legislation or open comment periods, or in California, they did a petition directly to the fish and game department, you know, saying to get rid of black bear hunting because of climate change, forest fires, 
you know, they don't know. They want empirical evidence that shows exactly, exactly how many bears there are. So they want a hand count, which is the same argument they're using in Washington. It's a, it, this is all coordinated from Humane Society of the United States and a couple other groups, Center for Biological Diversity and, and a couple others. They say your counts and your estimates aren't good enough. We need to know exactly how many there are. And well, that's a great investment of time and money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all they're doing, trying to string it out. And by the time the data comes through and is processed, it, it'll be out of date. And so they can just keep the keep the ploy going. But that's the exact theme we saw in all of these places yeah. you know, on the same argument of predator management. We, and that's why it's important to focus on, even though, like I, I told my wife the other day, you can go ahead and write me off forever visiting California again. I'm not doing it. I won't spend a dime there. I have, there's nothing there for me that I'm, I'm going to support. Which is I, this is the way it is for me. Bad because it's a gorgeous state. I it's mean, the most beautiful state in the country, hands yeah. down. It's beautiful. And I've been there multiple times, but I ain't ever going back. Not until they get their their stuff sorted out. Yeah. Um, but but why is it important to keep tabs on what California's doing? Well, because it bleeds east. It starts there and it bleeds across the country. For instance, like you just said, Arizona, Colorado, your state. All I mean, there's a trickle down effect. And when they ban something in California, they're like, oh, well, what state can we try this in next? You know, we had success here. Uh, so, and it's, it's, exactly and it's, it's a microcosm Oregon, of society too. It's the same thing. And then they jump to the East coast and they come inwards. Yep. Yeah. So, so that's why we always, that's why I'm always harping on, Hey, don't be like, don't California, my Texas. I have a t-shirt that says that, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. But that decision, they should be announcing that decision. I think this week they're supposed to be saying well, what that's coming down to. Well, man. Um, well, I hope that they make the right decision and that the that actually that science actually wins out over emotion for once. So you never know uh, in that state, though, um, because we had all the science. I mean, here in Washington state, all the biologists were saying, nope, this is solid. We have a robust bears, you know, uh, population that can easily handle the spring permit only. Season. We're right. talking hundred six hundred and forty five permits or something like that. Yeah. yeah easily handle it you know 30,000 bears and the commission doesn't care it's no nope, mm. don't care emotions science emotions almost doesn't even matter anymore well all we can do is keep fighting the good fight you guys are on the front lines keeping tabs in all 50 states so um i, I personally appreciate everything you guys do and it's a uh, like i always say it's it's a thankless task but somebody has to do it and so that's why I'm a huge fan of Sportsman's Alliance. Um, I encourage folks to follow y'all social media, uh, check out the website, all of the, the links to anti-hunting legislation that's been introduced in every state. It's all right there on your website. So uh, we appreciate everything that, uh, that you guys do, man. You betcha. Thank you very much. And thank you for your support and getting the word out there. Can't Absolutely. Do it without well, good luck chasing those, uh, those long beards. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to get out of here and take uh, take Friday off and get up there and shoot one in the face and start start my 2022 season off better than my 2021. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, man. Well, good luck. We'll talk soon. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you later. So there he goes, our old pal, Brian Lynn of Sportsmen's Alliance. Great organization. Uh, highly encourage you to check them out if you haven't already. 
Uh, thanks to Mossberg Firearms for sponsoring that segment. If you haven't seen the new 940 Pro Turkey, what are you waiting for? Pick one up this spring. It is the evolution of their semi-auto-loading platform. And the 940 Pro, mm, not only is it a smooth shooter, cycles beautifully, but you don't ever have to clean the damn thing, which is what I love. I mean, 1,500 rounds before you have to, to clean it. I won't, I won't shoot 1,500 turkeys. I Literally, that gun is going to outlast me before I have to clean it. It's the 940 Pro Turkey. You can find it at Mossberg.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. Thanks to both of our guests, Captain Tony Young, also Brian Lynn. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. 